Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 80, Artistic Fear, recorded on August 22nd, 2018. My name is Julie Faithan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hello, Julie. How are you? I'm good. I'm uh, watching with interest your gradual adventures in your house. Today, yes. for example, you discovered the hypnotic appeal of hardware stores that sell knobs. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've always said that, like, you know, buying a house is the biggest craft project on earth, and it is certainly true because, you know, there's things to buy and things to fix, and I did my first DIY project at the house. I replaced some um, little privacy shutters that I thought were ugly with uh something I never thought I would like, but I actually really like, which is like a fake stained glass and etched glass window cling from Home Depot. And it looks great. Well, you know what? I think you'll discover that a lot of manufacturers have figured out <laughs> solutions right. to your problems. If there's a market, somebody has figured out. Yeah, because this it. is, I was already like, oh, this is going to be perfect. We have a bunch of bathrooms that are going to have privacy issues. And this is such an inexpensive way and attractive way, I think, to deal with it. You still get light and you can change it out as time, budget, et cetera, in the future allows. So I really, really like that. Um, so today I thought we would talk about something. So a, a couple, was it yesterday or the day before, I came across a quote uh, that I really liked which uh, I didn't think too much about it. I just read it and I thought I liked it. It was simply fear tricks us into living a boring life uh, from Donald Miller. And I wrote a quick Instagram post about it when I decided to share it. And again, I didn't think that much when I wrote it. It's just, it was my immediate response. And I'm, I'm actually gonna read you what I wrote because this is sort of gonna be the topic of today's podcast. Which, as I said, this quote struck such a chord with me. I get a lot of art-related questions that I think are motivated by fear. What will happen if I do X, Y, Z? Or what should I use to do X, Y, Z? Or how should I do X, Y, Z? And the fact is, I know nothing more than you. In fact, I might know less. I didn't go to art school. I just tried things, and some of them worked, and a lot of them failed. I used up tons of precious art supplies doing stupid things. I still do. I burned time and wasted effort, and I'm so glad that I did. All of those failures, all of that waste, all of the mistakes, they all made me fearless in my art making. Experience has taught me that I can paint it over, flip the page, throw it out, learn to live with it, scrape it off, and sometimes even fix it. It's all okay. So if you're staring at a pile of art or craft supplies, throw away the fear. It's time to find out what happens if you, and now this is where you insert your own art adventure. And, you know, I got such a response from people saying that they really needed to hear it and it was a really important thing to say. And I have to say, as much as I like to pat myself on the back, I was surprised because I knew that it was something that, you know, was true for me, but I hadn't realized sort of how prevalent it was. So then I started Googling, <laughs> which they hate when you do that at the doctor's office, but I think we're safe here to say that we went Googling for information. And I cannot believe the vast sea of information about artistic fear and ways to overcome artistic fear and what are the top artistic fears and what is creative fear and 
all of these kinds of things. So this is clearly a hot button topic. And I thought you and I could uh, chit chat about it, mom, and give our own perspectives on the whole thing. And they list writer's block as one of the major forms of artistic fear. Well, they actually said, so writer's block is a symptom of the fear, right? Not being able to create is a symptom Uh of the fact that you're scared of failure. You're scared that you won't, you know, uh, measure up. You're scared. Some people are equally scared of success as they are of failure that you're scared of, you know, and so that's just a symptom of it. Uh, And I thought that was... I thought it was really, really interesting to think about it. There are, of course, a million people who want to sell you like a self-help book about how to help yourself get over artistic fear, which, you know, more power to them for monetizing, I suppose. Um, But yeah, so I would say let's start at the very beginning, which is... When I was afraid to have children and then I had you and I realized that... What a terrible idea that had been. I could have a different child... (laughs) (laughs) And start all over again, and it would be fine. And that's when my brother was born. It's perfect. Um, I actually want to say that I want to talk about my own fear first, and then I I wonder if you have anything fearful to share, and then we can sort of talk about fear in the abstract. So I hear this all the time in class, and I've experienced myself, and this is why I'm a proselytizer. Um, I fear screwing it up. I fear when it finally looks okay that I am going to go ahead and mess it up. I'm in the middle of painting this dresser and I have carried that fear with me every step of the way that I am messing it up, that I'm doing something that's going to ruin it, so to speak, and so on and so forth. And I think that despite that fear, you know what? You just have to work through it because you have to learn, I think, that the worst, what's the worst thing that happens if you ruin it? Well, you ruin it and then, you know, you can go ahead and fix it. It's kind of like I say this in classes all the time. When you have a question, should I paint this blue or should I not? The answer is always yes, because if it's a good choice, then you know it. If it's a bad choice, then you know it. The point is, if you don't do anything, then you know nothing. Then you've learned nothing. Then you've gained nothing. And so I think, you know, they always say like courage is not the absence of fear. It's feeling the fear and doing it anyway. And I think being courageous in art is not about, oh, it doesn't bother me to paint messy. Oh, it's not scary to throw my beautiful, expensive golden paints by the bucket onto this canvas that might be a disaster, you know. Oh, it's, you know, I mean, putting your stuff on Instagram is scary. Publicly calling yourself an artist is scary. Using up your supplies is scary. Dedicating time to yourself is scary. I mean, I I remember, Mom, when we were growing up, and I think we may have mentioned this on the podcast before, you went to aerobics three times a week, and that time was sacrosanct. We knew that we could not reach you during that time, and you created limits with people in your lives, and that was just it. In my lives? In your life, in your life, in in their lives, your life. But uh, Yes, it was actually, it was the first time in my life that I felt empowered to say to people, I uh, can't do that because I have another obligation. And it was that I was going to go to aerobics. The first time I prioritized something of mine over other people. And And it actually, yeah, but it actually enabled me to start doing it in other areas of my life because it, nobody blew up. 
So, I mean, that gets to something I was going to talk about later, but we might as well talk about it now, which is I have found that that the ways in which I am able to be brave and pull things back from the ashes and go for whatever in my art have translated into my life. You know, I've found that f- being okay with failing in art has made me not 100% okay, but certainly more okay with failing in my life. There, There is a kind of thing where you can practice it in one arena and it transfers over to the other. You know, I think sometimes people think that uh, people who paint with a very free style or people who, you know, just put another layer and another layer and another layer, that that stuff comes naturally. And I think for some people, perhaps it does. But I think for many of us, it is learned. It is, you know, something that you push through over time to do it. And so I think it's important. I'm going to read you a quote, actually, that I really love from Hugh Laurie, who I know from uh, some of the great one-liners in some British costume drama, as well as for being the Dr. House on TV. Um, And he says, it's a terrible thing, I think, in life to wait until you're ready. I have this feeling now that actually no one is ever ready to do anything. There's almost no such thing as ready. There's only now. And you may as well do it now. I mean, I say that confidently as if I'm about to go bungee jumping or something. I'm not. I'm not a crazed risk taker. But I do think that generally speaking, now is as good a time as any. So I take a couple things away from that quote, which is I think sometimes people are like, well, I don't know how to do this, so I'm going to wait until I'm ready. Or I don't know how to use this product, so I'm going to wait until I'm ready. Or I only have a little bit of time, so I'm probably not ready to do this, so I'm going to wait until I'm ready. Or you compare yourself to other people online and you say, well, they're doing this and I can't do that, so clearly I'm not ready. But I do agree so much with him that now is as good a time as any. I made a quilt before I knew how to quilt and it won a blue ribbon. And I have tried to make quilts since then, and I know a lot more, and they have not won any blue ribbons. You know, I did all kinds of stuff before I was ready, and I'm so glad because it's like anything else. You you learn as you go. I, I'll even liken it to this, which is so last night we had some friends over, and Steve brought out a board game that none of us had played. And we're, you know, reading the instructions, we're trying to figure it out, and I just said, listen, can we just play and learn as we play? I cannot stand sitting here listening to a recitation of the, you know, rule book. And so we agreed and we sort of like as things came up in the game, we were like, well, what do we do and how does that? And then you would look it up. And for me, that experiential learning was so much better. It was so much more engaging And, you know, we made mistakes. We figured out at the end of the game that we had played this one thing completely wrong. But you know what? It didn't matter because we were engaged enough with the game to want to play again. And I think the same thing is true for art. When you make art, you want to make more art. When you don't make art, you don't want to make art. And it's one of these things. It's like a muscle. I actually read it. One of the interesting things I read in my Googling is someone who said that they thought that One of the things that people feared, one of the artistic things that people feared was hard work. It was the idea that making art should be easy. And if it's not easy and it doesn't like come from inside your soul and give you all the feelings. And I mean, I love people who create like that. I don't. And I think that, you know, it is okay to create uh, when you're not feeling it. And it is okay to create 
because it it feels like work. There are a lot of days that creating feels like work and that's okay because even if yours is not a professional thing for you, even if this is a hobby, if you want to get better, if you want to be excellent, it's like anything. I think athletes will tell you, pro athletes will tell you that their workouts are not fun but necessarily. They're parts, you know, but overall they're glad that they do the work to get where they need to go. And I would say that that has just been so true for me personally speaking. The harder I work, the more I get. It's like a magic thing. The harder the work I work, the better I get. The harder I work, the more things, opportunities come my way. The harder I work, the more I know. I mean, knowing that, why would I ever not work hard? Okay. In my life, I'll tell you something very specific, which is I suddenly developed claustrophobia, which is the fear of being in an enclosed place, just out of nowhere. And uh, I was going to take a long plane trip, and I realized I was very afraid of doing it. So I went to a therapist. That was actually the first time I had ever been to a therapist, but I thought, I need help with this. And I thought it would be like this long, drawn-out thing where we, you know, deeply go into how my parents messed me up and stuff like that. He gave me a book, and he said, I think you'll find that it's claustrophobia is often not the fear of the enclosed place. It's the fear of... that you will get the feeling of being afraid of being in the enclosed place. In other words, you will fear the feeling, so you get this before you even get into the enclosed place because you don't want that feeling. You're anxious about getting that feeling, and it really helped me because as soon as I understood that, then I could find a way to address it. It may not work for everybody. It worked for me. Well, there is nothing to fear, but fear itself is is a real thing. Right. So after that, I had some occasional claustrophobia, but obviously I fly around in planes. It's fine. And if I, if I think the place is going to be a problem for me and I don't have to go in it, I won't go in it because why should I torture myself? I'm not out to prove anything to anybody, but I don't let it stop me. From doing things, I just say you're not afraid of being in the airplane. What you're afraid of is that you will be afraid of being in the airplane. I think this is like pain, too. When people have a conversation and they're like, is this going to hurt? What's it going to feel like? You know, that you fear, like when you're going to have a shot or a procedure, you, you know, and it's like knowledge and knowing things really does mitigate the fear in both cases, right? Awareness, intellectual awareness. And so with art, I think it's true too, which is if I know that I have failed 25 times and I'm still walking around happy, living my life, you know, why can't I fail 25 more times and still be fine? I would say it's it's not unlike when I went through my divorce, one of the things that helped me is that I had seen you go through a divorce and come out totally fine too. I had seen other people go through divorces and come out totally fine. And so it's like I had this sense that it was in fact not the end of the world. And in fact, that there would be things that are okay. And I think, again, fearing 
that you're going to mess up, fearing that it's going to be bad, fearing that it's not going to turn out the way you want it to. All of that is just crap that you are putting in the way of yourself constantly. And there's no point into it because you know what? It You are going to fail. You guarantee if you make any amount of art, you are going to fail. And you're going to fail a lot. And if you're going for gold, if you're going for something spectacular, if you're going for something amazing, you're going to fail even more. And that's okay. We have this terrible idea that failure is bad. And I think that failure is fantastic. In fact, in in the startup community, it's like a badge of honor. How many failed startups have you worked at? Oh, I've worked at 12. Really? I've worked at 14. Oh, I've worked at 25. Because that means you were part of something that people were trying to do. You were part of something that people were pushing. And, you know, it's not about being successful. I, oh, I also want to share one tidbit that I read that was fascinating to me, which is, I'm going to extrapolate a little bit in my own voice, but they said, you know, when somebody announces that they're going to art school, or that they want to be an artist, the first thing that people say basically is you're going to fail, you know, so very often it's, you know, you're going to fail. There's no way you can do it, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And yet when people announce that they want to be a doctor or they want to be a lawyer, people generally don't say to them, you're going to fail. There's no way you're going to make it, even though those are incredibly cutthroat, you know, career paths and schools to get into and all that kind of stuff. But people don't do it. So here's my extrapolation. Stay with me here, which is think how much more difficult it must be to be an artist if you announce you're going to med school and people say, that's great, good for you, but you say you're going to be an artist and everybody's in a hysterical panic that you won't make it. It must mean that being an artist is so hard, so exclusive, so fantastic that only a chosen few can make it or, (laughs) you know, or it means that people have conflated making a lot of money with success. Duh. I know. (laughs) And that's a really hard one. That is really hard because obviously you need to make a living. You need to put, you know, pay your rent or put a roof over your head or whatever it is. And I, I, trust me when I say, I get that. Um, but I do think that what I do see in, in common there is that if you said to somebody you wanted to go to med school, what do you need to do? They would say, okay, well, you need to take these courses and you need to study really hard and you need to basically like not party and hang out. You need to like focus on your work and you're going to have to go to, you know, four years of med school plus do an internship. Then you'll have to do your rotation. And if you want to do something specialized, like be a heart surgeon, you know, you're going to have to spend 10 years as a resident or however long it is you know, and then maybe you'll get placed somewhere and maybe you won't, you know, it'll be crazy hours. You'll be working your butt off, but at the end of it, you'll be a doctor. And you know what? Thousands of people every year say, sign me up. Okay. So Mm -hmm. if you want to be an artist, guess what? You're going to have to, whether you go to formal art school or you learn online from books, experientially, whatever, you have to learn. You have to get the information. You have to understand the terms, the anatomy of art, so to speak. Then you're going to have to do some kind of, you know, 
internship apprenticeship you know it doesn't actually mean that you're formally working with an artist but maybe it means that you're painting in museums that you're looking at art online and learning your craft you know you have to put in the time you you don't go from like I want to be an artist to two years later you're selling twenty thousand dollar paintings unless you're extraordinarily lucky you know you have to put in all of those the internship the residency the hours and you are going to have to work those hours you can't work two hours a day on it and be like why aren't i picasso you know there is a level of dedication when they talk about doctors being on 36 hour shifts you know when have you exhausted yourself for your art when have you pushed yourself that far to be excellent to really know have you read the you know you want your doctor to read medical journals. You want your doctor to be up on trends that are happening. Are you reading art magazines? Are you going to museums? Are you looking in galleries? Are you paying attention to what's happening? And so I think there are some equivalents there, which is it, it is a career like any other. Now, let's talk about it not as a career, but as a hobby, which is also a fantastic thing. I think that most people who do a hobby want to get better at it. I know golf players are constantly talking about their handicap, right? Tennis players, you know, if you bring a beginner to somebody who's been playing for 20 years, they get pissy about it. They don't really want to play them, right? It's boring for them. It's not fun. So I think whatever your hobby is, people like to get good at it. Now, do you have to be dedicated in the same way to become a doctor? No, you don't. But like generally speaking, I would say what you have to do is do it. You know, you just have to do it. And that's where the fear thing comes into me. That's that's where it's not about excellence. That's where it's about, you know, if you want to be better, if it's something that you enjoy, then get rid of the fear. It's the thing that is stopping you. And it's the only thing that's stopping you. And the good news is it's you. Some of that fear is competitive. Yes. It's like people who want to do like sketch or paint, but they don't want to sketch or paint in front of other people out, you know, like on plein air or whatever, or in a museum, they're afraid of being seen and being judged, uh, not making it. Right. But I I think, you know, I, I think it's, it has been hard for me in the past when I've been sketching and drawing and people always say, Oh, let me see what you're doing. And then you always have this feeling that they're kind of disappointed somehow, which is ridiculous. And it's your own projection. And even if they are disappointed. Who are would, they, right? I would use colorful language here. I'm thinking of blank you. But anyway, you can make that up for yourself. But I mean, it's like it's none of their business. And I think if you worry your whole life about what other people this. OK, there's the stop sign analogy. My mother taught me how to drive. And when we got to a stop sign, she said. I don't care who's honking at you, how many people are in line behind you, who wants you to go. If you get into an accident because of the people behind you who are honking or yelling at you, they are not going to stay around and help you. They are not going to stay around and pay your insurance. They are not going to be the ones who have to deal with the aftermath of it. So no matter what happens at that stop sign, don't go until you feel comfortable going. And I don't I think that... <laughs> you must have I been must... worried. <laughs> No, I must have, if I was the one behind you, I might feel different. Right, that's also true. But what I was going to say is, but but I think it's a good metaphor, though, which is like, if other people have a different agenda for you, it's not their life, it's your life. Like, if if you, I, I often have people who come to class, and they say they go home and show their husbands, you know, it's usually women, uh, what they've made, and the response is usually, 
you spent six hours there and that's all you did, or you spent two days there and spent $300 and that's all you did. And that is such a terrible response. So beyond divorce, what, what can you do? And I think part of it is like getting rid of fear is also about getting rid of the need to please other people. Right. Getting rid of the idea that somehow, you know, uh, other people's opinions matter more than your own. If Including the it. other people in your head. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I read one interesting story in my Googling about Agnes DeMille, who's a choreographer, talking to Martha Graham, also a choreographer. And apparently Agnes DeMille uh, choreographed very famously Oklahoma, which she felt was not her best work, but she was critically lauded for it enormously lauded for it and she had done a lot of other work that she liked more that people did not particularly respond to and apparently she had talked to Martha Graham uh, about this and Martha Graham said to her listen like it's not your job to judge what's good or bad it's your job to do work that you like that pleases you and put it out there and people will respond the way that they will but when you start trying to figure out like why people like this and why they don't like that. Like you lose your integrity as an artist and you lose your center of who you are. You know what I've seen? I think this is a, some with professional artists and it also happens with crafters. If they get a good response to something, they keep doing it over and over again for years. Like, oh, everybody likes this cat. I'm going to just keep doing a million cat pictures. Right. I think it's so tempting to go towards what other people like and it's great I mean, I would say this. It's like people always say you want to have a job where you make a lot of money. That's wonderful. But the wonderful moment is if you can make a lot of money doing something you love. That's when the Venn diagram, right, the overlap where it lines up. And I think the same thing is true, which is like if you can get a very positive response for something, that's great. If you can do something that you love, that's great. If you can mix those together and have the Venn diagram overlap, then that's the sweet spot. So I think it's better to be appreciated by a small audience for doing something that you love than to be lauded by a large audience for something that isn't like true to who you are and how you feel. It also, I think, I think that that turns into fear because if you do something that you don't love, that you don't think is great, then how do you know what to create? How do you know? How do you even judge what's good or bad anymore? How do you know how, and if you're living or dying on your audience, how, how do you know any of that? And so then you're fearful. Will they like this? Will they not? Will this be okay? Will it not? Instead of just being, I'm proud of this, I'm putting it out there. People who like this, raise your hand. People who don't, see you later. You're not my people. I think it's kind of like if you were in an actual room of 100 people and 50 of them were like, I don't like you. Would you stay and talk to them? No, you go towards the other half of the room where the 50 people were like, I like you. And I think that's why it's so tempting to go towards the likes because we prefer that kind of feeling. The good news is social media people aren't real. I mean, they're real people on the other side of the keyboard. Maybe. 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 Or they're robots. Who knows? But you don't. it's like you always said – and you who persist in not having an answering machine or believing in answering machines, mom, you always said like, just because the phone rings doesn't mean you have to answer it. Just because someone rings your doorbell, you're under no obligation to open the door. So just because somebody asks you a question on social media or makes a comment, you are under no obligation to respond to them. Like that is somebody knocking on your door. You can deal with it if you want to and not if you don't, you know? And I think that that is important to remember. Um, but 
we we got a little off track as I always do. I don't think we did. I think let's talk. You know, I'm going to talk about three specific things and ask you how you dealt with what I know was some level of fear, not screaming chainsaw, you know, massacre Axe level of fear. fear, right? So first, let's talk about when you were first starting in crafting and you were applying for different design teams and stuff like that, you must have had, I think, some level of fear. And you got rejected many times. Okay, so here's the irony. I had no fear in the beginning because I was so certain that I was the most amazing human being who had ever walked the earth. And I was genuinely shocked when I got all those rejections. And you guys, I'm not talking about like one rejection or like five rejections or like 10 rejections or like 20 rejections. I mean, like when I got all those rejections. And I think that that shock of being rejected, it, it was like, oh my gosh. And now I have to actually understand why this is happening. And that's when I started to have fear. That's when I started to get like really nervous and scared about stuff because now I had this awareness that I maybe wasn't as good as I had thought I was and that people might not like the stuff that I did. And so you persisted. See, that's number one. You persisted and you also started to analyze the people who were successful at getting on those design teams and getting printed in the magazines. Yes. And I had to do a calculated uh, a, a calculated choice, which is like what was getting into magazines and getting into this was not what my style was or what I did, what I either enjoyed doing or did well. And so the choice was if I wanted that success, I would have to change what I did or I could redefine what I thought was going to be success. And I think that either path is fine. That's up to you to decide. But for me, I decided that it was more important to redefine what I was judging as success and what I thought was good. And somebody suggested that I send my work over to what was, I think, Legacy Magazine, which later became Stampington or Somerset Memories or something like that. I can't even remember. But uh, And the thing that amazed me about that is suddenly instead of being the weirdo who was hand painting titles when everybody else had die cuts and who was, you know, drawing things – they were so charmed by my work that I think the first piece I got published with them, they did like a three page spread on it and an article and like all this kind of stuff. And it was a reminder to me that, you know, it's like trying to fit in with a group that you don't belong with is tiring. It is exhausting. It is inauthentic and it is bound to be filled with failure and disappointment because it's dispiriting it is it's very dispiriting and it and it's it's i know i've used this metaphor a million times but it always works for me it's like a tuba can't play flute music but it can be an amazing tuba you know and i think i figured that out somewhere that what i needed to do was do me and i have found that that okay so here's the thing about fear too I say to people all the time, like, do you, it's your hand, it's the way that you feel, it's your color palette, don't try to copy me, don't try to copy someone else, like, you know what I mean, you are wonderful and you are you. And the fear that's associated with that for people is, what if I'm not? 
What if I'm not fabulous and amazing? What if I'm just me? What if I'm not enough? What if I put myself out there and I show my hand and what I like and how I am and people are like, you suck or whatever else they do. And you know what? I think that I think that that's such a terrible thing to fear. And yet I think we all, all, I mean, included, I think we have all feared that at some point that we're not enough. But the ways to get over that is to is to just start to do it. Put yourself out there and discover that people embrace you and that the people who are meant to be your people, when people talk about finding your tribe, this is what it's about. This is about finding the people who connect with how you are, not about trying to fit in with the people who don't like the way that you are, you know? So I think it's actually one of the most best things about the internet is that it's easier to find your tribe because even if you live somewhere very far away, you can find people who think like you and who like the same things as you and who are interested in the same things as you and you can reach out to them and form wonderful friendships, wonderful alliances with people who get it. I mean, one of my good friends is Natalie Callback, who lived in Germany when we first started talking and we became good friends just through the internet because we both liked creating the same kind of weird painted scrapbook pages okay so the second thing was let's talk about when you first started teaching live classes talk about fear so uh i think it always surprises people to know that i am nervous every single time i teach a class every single time it does not matter i have i often get in the night before a class and I have a sleepless night in the hotel. Or I Or you have bad dreams you report. Or I have yeah. all the time. I have bad dreams. I have these like weird, scary dreams where I'm being chased by something or I'm something terrible is happening. I'm at an airport. I cannot pack my luggage quickly enough and people are yelling at me. I mean, like it's all these crazy things. And I think there is nothing scarier than walking into a room full of people who have expectations of you. And if you're not scared by that, there's something wrong with you, frankly, because that is scary. That is scary to walk into a room full of people, many of whom, you know, I'll go around and I'll talk to people. They're here. It's a birthday present. They're here. It's a Christmas present. They're here. It's an anniversary present. They're here. It's a gift to themselves. You know, they're here with two of their friends. They're taking this weekend you know, for a girl's weekend. It's like, so they're doing something going out of their way, making a special trip. It's like a big deal to them. And they have expectations. And those expectations are so heavy. I am always deeply flattered when people say, oh, I'm so excited to be here, you know, and I just expect you to be amazing and fabulous or whatever. And I'm always like, oh God, let me not disappoint you. You know, that expectation weighs heavy on me. And so I think when you deal with it, so how do I deal with it? So I believe in the fake it till you make it. And I believe in that also with creating art, which is like, I have no idea what I'm doing sometimes, but I just do stuff and see what happens. And so the same thing is true when I'm teaching. I put a big smile on my face and I go for it. I also almost always have a plan. And I find that if I can get through the first part of my plan, then if everything goes awry and falls apart halfway through, I'm okay. 
And it reminds me of, do you remember that, um, was that movie Finding Forrester with the young kid mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. was wanted to be a writer? Sean Connery. Yeah, and yeah. Sean Connery was um, coaching him. And the way that he taught this kid to get past the writer's block is he said, start copying my story. And then when you start to feel it, your own story will come out of it. Right? Uh-huh. And I think it's this idea that at some point the act of doing, the act of pushing the typewriter keys, right, would get you to the point where the words would start flowing. And so this is the thing I say all the time, which is like the act of taking out your paintbrush and even doing nothing or scribbling or making a mess gets you to the point where you're ready to keep going. And so I think teaching is not that different, which is like I fear the bu- I feel the bubble of fear. I set up a situation so that I know what the first 20 minutes of class are going to be. So then whatever happens in the next six or seven or eight hours or however long the class is, I feel like that's me starting to type. That's me starting to paint. That's me getting the bike moving and going down the hill, you know, and things come up in class that are scary. Students who are unhappy or angry or fights break out between people or, you know, who knows what else it is. (laughs) Yeah. Girl, girl fight. Girl fight, girl fight. Um, well, you know, a lot of times people who come to places have a history with each other. And so, it's, you know, you can't seat this person with that person because they don't get along and like on and on and on. So, and I think you just have to take it all into stride and remember that the worst thing you can do is to do nothing. You know, I've tried, I've, I've said things that have landed flat and not gone well. And I much prefer that to saying nothing and wishing that I could go back and have done something, said something, whatever it is, because at least I tried. Okay. I have another situation, which is the first few times you were on TV, you have this show, Make It Artsy, but you've had other shows and you started out just being a guest on one of these shows. You can't tell me you haven't been afraid. Uh, I'm still afraid. I still like when I go on HSN, I have that moment, the butterflies in the stomach, you're standing there in the cold, you're ready to go on. And I can tell you the blood drains from my body. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, and, and I have this uh, like crazy physical combustion thing where it's freezing in these studios. I mean, freezing, like I am like teeth chattering, shivering. And then I go on camera and I come off after 20 minutes or something and I have the terrible combination of being like dripping in a flop sweat and yet my extremities are all like ice cold to the touch because I am both like cold and hot and flop sweating because that's nerves that's adrenaline but you know it is like anything the more you do something the less scary it is I assume that the 700th time you jump out of an airplane it's less scary than the 70th, which is less scary than the first. And so the first time I messed up on air, was, I, it was heartbreaking. It was the worst thing that could have happened. It was the earth opened up, you know, and flames were licking at my feet or whatever. And then it was okay because we got past it. I mean, I've been on live TV when the electricity you know, the machine power cords got kicked out. I've been on air when, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff happened and you just, 
you, you fake it till you make it. You just keep smiling, you make it through, and you deal with the problem afterwards. And the thing is, every time I think that you have a success, or even every time you have a failure and, and live with it, then you're better, stronger, and less fearful the next time. So the fake it till you make it applies to the fear of doing the art too, I think. It does, 100%. Like, if you have no idea what you're doing, go into the studio and just start doing stuff. And at some point, you know what? You're going to know what you're doing. If you've never done collage before, start doing what you think collage is. And either you are doing collage, and that's awesome, congratulations, or you're inventing a new kind of art form, and man, that's pretty awesome. So it all boils down to just do it. I have one other sort of... Not to steal from Nike, but it's not a bad slogan. Yeah. Just do it. I have one other sort of very kind of specialized uh, situation, but I think it's part of your art career and it also applies to this fear thing. And that is when you are asked to name a price for something, whether it's for a service or a piece of art. Yes. Yes. That is scary. That is still so scary. That I mean, one of the reasons I don't sell a lot of my work is that I think it's worth a certain amount but I know looking sort of out in the market, I'm not sure that the market will bear it. And so I have a lot of fear for even trying to ask for what I think it's worth. Cause I, you know what I mean? Because that fear is not just whether or not someone will pay it, which matters less to me. It's more like people will think you're a a-hole essentially for being like, I'm worth, you know, X, Y, Z. So I think there's some issues around that that I need to like figure out for myself but I also think there's this idea sometimes that I get about on the one hand like my painting should sell for x amount of money and on the other hand like oh it's just a little whatever who cares and you know what I mean it's not that important it's not that great it's not that whatever so it's it's the same as like getting asked asking to be paid I I'm a freelancer and people approach me to do conventions classes demos all sorts of stuff and I've reached the point where I used to apologize for my rates And now I just say, these are my rates. I hope it works for you. If it doesn't, I totally understand, you know, because I am not scared that I won't get hired. You know, I'm scared instead of doing what I've done in the past, which is doing a lot of work for not enough money and making myself miserable and sick, essentially, you know, and I think when you when you ask how does does fear ever help you is there any good reason that fear exists well that's that's a good kind of thing to fear i think you know that you'd go back to some sort of bad habit um but it's hard it's really hard to ask people for money so a lot of times people are afraid they write to you i see this all the time and they're afraid either of losing money mostly supplies and things or of losing time, meaning they will make mistakes and all that time will have been wasted or they're afraid of losing like they have a one of a kind object or something. And they're afraid of for irreparably changing it. So there are three answers, right? One is, uh, you, you should just do it. Like waste the supplies, waste the time, kill the object. It's all okay because the price of not doing it 
is that you are just held captive. You're just doing nothing. And and what is the point of owning that stuff? Now you're just a hoarder, you know? Um, That's what I've always said about like not using the wedding china because yeah. then you might as well not have it yeah. because you aren't using it. And I've opened enough art supplies that have been sitting around for two years that are no longer good and gone, ugh. Or when I used to scrapbook a lot, you know, scrapbook paper that was precious that I had hoarded. And then five years later, I look at it and I say, this is ugly. You know, if you make something with it, then you have it in some sense. You're enjoying it in some sense. I mean, I think, so that's one answer. The second answer I think is, um, you know, proceed with caution, which is to say, take some baby steps. You know, if you don't want to use your expensive paints, fine. Take out your cheap paints, you know. If you don't want to use your, you know, if you are afraid that you're going to waste a ton of time, then make a plan to do some research. And doing research, by the way, is not emailing somebody and saying, how do I do X? Doing research is actually about like, trying to figure it out, Googling, looking for videos, trying to logic it through, trying to plan out how it might work. Because when you do that legwork yourself, you do learn differently. And I often, when I'm teaching, the, the most important thing I think I do as a teacher is I always try to explain to people the thinking behind things. Why are you doing it this way? Not put blue on it now. Why are you putting blue on it? Because if you can understand the thinking, then you're in control of your own destiny and then you can deal with anything that comes up yourself. And the same thing is true here, which is if you're trying to figure out a problem, you know, how do I, how do I make a stencil that doesn't fall apart? Well, I mean, I, I can give you some ideas on how to do it, but you also need to have the experience of cutting a stencil that does fall apart and saying, oh, I should have put a bridge here and I should have put a bridge here and that would have helped. Because if you have that failure, you will learn that lesson much more strongly. And then the third answer that I would give is that I think you can segregate things in your life a little bit. If you have like your parents' heirloom, you know, the last teacup that your grandmother came to America with that's left, you know, standing, then you know what, maybe you should leave that alone for a little while until you feel like you're more expert, you know, maybe you should. And then some of the other things like art supplies and time, that's much more fungible. It's much more easy to, you know, that's more flexible. It's easier to deal with, et cetera, et cetera. Um, on the other hand, I'll also say that things that I made that I was so proud of that I thought were the best thing I had ever made five years ago look hideous to me now in many ways, <laughs> you know? And so no matter how good a job you do today, tomorrow you always could have done better. That's just the fact of growing and congratulations to you for growing and being at a point where stuff five years ago doesn't look good to you. If it still looks good to you, if you're still in the same place you were five years ago, then you're not growing. Then you need to push yourself. Then you need to go towards the fear. Then you need to do some stuff that scares you, man, because it is good for you. I will also say, I think often, I at least, sometimes my fear is based on fear of losing control. There's a kind of a spectrum from things I don't know to the other end is things I can't do anything about. And so usually I'm in the middle there somewhere going, you know, with the needles going back and forth. 
and I, it's really often that I that I think that something will happen that I can't control, and that makes me nervous. As a fellow control freak, I mean, yeah, you can't control things. Like that's the whole point, right? Is that uh, you're guaranteed to uh, lose when you try to control things because uh. the very nature of life is that nothing really can be controlled. Oh. And, and I think that it's like you have a choice, right? You either accept that you're going to fail doing something or you accept that you're going to fail at controlling it. And why not fail the good way, right? <laughs> why not fail while actually doing it? Right. Sometimes you just have to say, what is the worst case scenario here? Why am I bending myself backwards to avoid that? Maybe what you should be scared of is you should be scared of being a control freak because then you're always going to be disappointed, right? Because the very nature of life is you can't control things and so you're disappointed. I mean, I suppose, I mean, do you think there are times that fear is a good thing? Uh, well, sometimes there should be fear. You know, again, we'll go back to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that sort of thing. Why do you always go alone into the dark house? <laughs> Why do you have to open that closet door. On the other hand, the more fear stops you from doing things, the less satisfactory it'll be. When you're doing art, yeah, you're not going to die from doing it wrong. <laughs> right, it's all about the stakes, kind of. Yeah, well, that's more conceptual art there. Well, I mean, I think the thing is, yeah, you have to consider that you're not going to... Um, you know, if you mispaint it, if you use up the supply, if you get rid of something, like it's, you're still going to walk away at the end of the day. And that's the kind of fear that you need to jump towards. The kind of fear that's like there's a creek and a murderer and all that kind of stuff. Yes, don't go outside and that's fear saves your life. But I think people use fear as an excuse. And I think what we're trying to do today is to just rip away that excuse and to say, you really, um, fear is a lie and it's what's standing between you and the things that you want. And so go towards that fear, embrace it, bite it off. Yeah. And I, uh, so I think pulling it together. So doing it is the, is the best way to learn. Get rid of the voices that are negative about what you do. Not the voices that are critical, the voices that are negative, which is a difference. It's not the people who are giving advice that might turn out to be, might have a grain of something useful in it It's and who are well-meaning. It's the people whose voices say, you are terrible. Well, this totally feels Those like voices. a moment of self-preservation, Mom, yeah. because I think that you are uh, critical, uh, but not me. negative. <laughs> I believe that was critical of me. But not negative. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think, again, it's like anything. Um, don't don't let fear be an excuse. Don't let lack of time be an excuse. Don't use lack of supplies right. as an excuse. Just get rid of the Thank excuses. Thank God we solved this problem. <laughs> We're so smart. <laughs> I mean, the world is lucky to have us solving these problems. Okay. So it looks like it's time for us to wrap up. And as always, you can find me at ballsdesigns.typepad.com. Do leave us your comments or questions at ballsdesigns.com backslash arting because I would love to know how do you deal with fear? How do you overcome fear? Have you had fears that you've had to push aside? Are you paralyzed by fear? And we'd love to read some of those out loud on air. So let me know about that. Um, and if you tweet about the show, please use the hashtag pound arting podcast, A-R-T-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And if you'd like to help the show, you can always leave a review on 
iTunes. That helps other people find the show. So thanks so much for listening and subscribing. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast. <laughs>